Welcome to Act Pod, a podcast show that sheds light on the stories and impact of the social sector. The show is proudly powered by Aspire Coronation Trust Foundation. Let's begin the change. Hello, everyone. Good morning. My name is Ndifreke Okwebinam. I'm your host for today at another episode of the Act Foundation podcast, Act Pod, Our Story, Our Continent. It's a pleasure to be with you again. Um, we're here to share with you another story on the continent of um, an individual that has been doing great work in adding value um, to youths on the continent. We are very proud of this work. We believe that the more we can tell African stories, you can see the work that is going on in Africa and what Africans are doing to add value, make impact on the continent. So I have with me today a very special individual um, that I've had the pleasure of meeting a number of times and the work he's doing is phenomenal on the continent. I have with me Benga Session, um, the executive director of Paradigm Initiative. Welcome, Benga. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, so Benga is executive director of Paradigm Initiative. Um, it's a pan-African social enterprise working on digital inclusion and digital rights. Um, they have offices in Cameroon, in Kenya, in Nigeria, Senegal, Zimbabwe, and Zambia. And I'm sure looking at reaching other parts of the continent as well. Um, Benga... Um, He's a Schwab's Foundation Social Entrepreneur of the Year. Um, he's a fellow of um, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Um, he's also an Ashoka Fellow. He has a lot of experience under his belt, and he has received um, numerous recognitions and awards. Wenga, <laughs> thank, you. thank you for being here. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So I'll just go right into it. So let's talk about this amazing work that you've been doing for over 15 years now, you've been pushing this. We are actually 15 this year. Amazing! I'm going to 15 this year. So, I mean, I'm a bit older than Paradigm Initiative <laughs> because I have, uh, I, you know, I had a stint in, in uh, you know, another place before I started Paradigm Initiative, but we are 15 this year. Uh, Congratulations. And so, yes. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's it feels like time. I'm the father of uh, a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> you are. You are. You are. Well done. That is amazing. So, why did you start this organization? You, you, mm. you've done, um, you've worked in several organizations. I know mm. that you had a passion for technology, yes. but why this initiative? So, uh, well, I, I started my career at Junior Achievement uh, of Nigeria in, in 2001 as a, as a program assistant. And I was, I was, I was, I had promised I was going to spend that year uh, for my national youth service with Junior Achievement because I wanted to give back. Mm. Uh, that's because many years before then, you know, when I was in my third year in secondary school, I'd been denied access to a computer lab. Uh, and then I eventually learned how to use a computer. And, you know, uh, then I became Nigeria's IT Youth Ambassador and all of those great things happened to me in terms of my career. And I remembered that in that year, in 1991, I promised myself that that feeling that I had when I was leaving the computer lab because, you know, I went to this lab and the teacher literally, I mean, taller than me, looked down at me and was like, Computers are not for people like you. You can't understand how to use them. Um, incidentally, of course, he didn't really know how to use the computers himself. himself yeah. But, you know, he was, I think, the math teacher. And so he was the one that was naturally close to computers. And I promised myself when I left the place, I was on my way back to class, you know, crying and cleaning my eyes and promised that, you know what, this feeling, 
when I grow up, I'm going to make sure that no other person has this kind of feeling. But I forgot completely. Uh, and then when I remembered, I decided I was going to spend one year of my youth service to pay back. Like, come on, one year is enough, right? Mm -hmm. So I joined Junior Achievement, and then one year became six years because I loved it. I mean, I loved the fact that not only will I, of course, I was earning a salary, of course, I was building a career, but apart from that, I saw lives changing. I mean, I would go to a secondary school, talk to the students who were my age when I was denied access, mm. and they were thinking about businesses. They mm. were thinking of my company program and things like that. I was like, oh, wow. And then I got a chance to go to Junior Achievement um, in, in the U.S. at some point, and I joined them to develop the curriculum. I was like, okay, this is cool. You know, so this curriculum I was using, I was implementing, I could actually help develop and things like that. So after a while, uh, I joined Junior Achievements to help manage a program called the Lagos Digital Village. Uh, and that was a joint project between Microsoft, Junior Achievement, and Lagos State Government. And the entire process for starting that and eventually running the program got me closer. So I started, I started this training in Ebute Meta, and um, at that point, I was thinking, you know what, Junior Achievement is not core ICT, not core tech. Mm. Uh, they're actually a business and economic education organization, but I was running the tech program for them. So at some point, I realized I wanted to do more tech. Mm. So then I remembered, of course, the promises I made. Uh, and incidentally, uh, so I resigned on a day before Vows Day, and I can't forget, of course, because <laughs> uh, there, there were plans. There were plans. So I resigned the day before, uh, and I'd saved some money. I'd saved about $4,000, which in 2007, I thought it was actually a lot of money. Yes. Uh, and I thought it was enough to like start my own organization, run programs and train people. And there were a few of our partners who had told me that, oh, you know, when you start your own thing, we'll give you some resources. Um, be careful with such promises. You know, I'm sure they meant well. But then I got invited to Ajigunle, hmm. which I'd heard about. I mean, I came to Lagos in 1999 for the first time uh, to come and write, you know, a test. And then I'd heard about Ajigunle, but I was told, don't go there. Hmm. I mean, it was clear. Mm -hmm. but like, don't go to Ajigunle. So then I got this invitation to come to train young people in Ajigunle. I never say no to training young people in tech. So I went there. Uh, but when I got there, I was a bit nervous because I was told it's a rough place, it's a slow. Mm. But I got there, it was it looked normal. Mm -hmm. Like I mean, I grew up in Akure, and this this is not exactly like Akure, but this is this is not too far. I mean, yeah. come on. Uh, and what I noticed was the questions they were asking were very different. People would normally ask me, oh, this computer, can it do this? Does it have this capacity? They were not asking technical questions. The question was, so, sir, they said you're a computer guru. My younger sister needs to go to school. I have gone through secondary school, but we don't have money for her. How can I use this thing to make money? Mm. Every question was about sustenance, was about livelihoods. And I left the place, where, you know, that was about the time I got my Desmond Tutu Leadership you know, uh, Fellowship Award, and I traveled. And on my way back, you know, we had this. It was a beautiful retreat. I mean, we, you know, this was this was to think about the future of Africa and things like that. So that led me to writing down a plan of how to respond to the questions I got in Ajegunle. Mm -hmm. And so I started what I called at the time Ajegunle.org. I mean, everything at that time was .org or .com. Yeah. So it was Ajegunle.org. And that was how, you know, I came back. So my birthday on the, you know, 27th of July, 2007, I decided I was going to do something to respond to that question. But that one thing became a training in a cyber cafe, and then it kept growing you know, from there. So the basic idea was to pay back uh, for the experience I had when I was much younger, and to also answer the questions that I got from Ajegunle. That was why we started. Amazing, amazing. Mm. 
how you just started, you're just going back to give back mm. and here you are now. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Well done. Thank you. you said something that I think mm. is fundamental to the way we see technology mm. and digital mm. skills in this part of the world. And that's in how we separate mm. the educated from the non-educated, the out-of-school youth, the youth that mm. have had the opportunity mm. to have mm. an education. What do we do about mm. that? Because mm. sometimes you feel these people from underserved communities yeah. Yeah. can't learn this thing. Mm. They, they wouldn't know what to do with it. But we, we know it's not true. Oh, no, no, it's not true. It's not true. I mean, if when I was much younger, uh, because I was, I mean, I was growing up in Akure, and there was, so there was this thing in, 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 in secondary school about people who came with the luxurious bus from Lagos. Mm. They were the special breed. Uh, and we were the local people from Akure, from Ogwo, and things like that. So I would probably have been tagged underserved. But one thing I learned very early, uh, and I think way back from primary school, is that being smart has nothing to do with your background. Being smart is exposure to opportunities and maximizing them. And actually, more often than not, if you're already underprivileged, you have a point to prove. Mm. And when you have a... Which is why Nigerians excel when they get into other countries. Because, I mean, you've struggled with power, you've struggled All with sorts. access, and then you get <laughs> into a place where there's 24-7 power, and they think you're a genius. Of course you'll be a genius, mm -hmm. because now you're going to blow up. Mm -hmm. So we make that mistake, but it's not true. Every child, and you know, now that I have two kids of my own, you know, four and seven, I know that every child is born a genius. But exposure, environment, limitation of parents is what dumps them down. Mm. Some are helped to maintain that genius until they get discovered as geniuses, uh, either in secondary school or even before. Some because the parents couldn't get them to the right environment, or this child wasn't exposed to this, you know, and that's that's what happens. But the challenge for us is that if we separate people who are underserved from those who already have opportunities, what we keep doing then is that we'll keep creating this sort of funnel effect where people drop off. Mm. And unfortunately, and, and I had to write about that at some point because people were saying, oh, there's so much trouble with criminality and things like that in Nigeria. And I'm like, you know where those criminals come from? They are the children. They are the beasts that we raised. Mm. They are the people we refused to train because society should strengthen its weakest. Mm. But when you don't strengthen your weak, what you're doing is that child that you refuse to train today is the one who is going to knock on your door or on your window a few years down the line and say, give me what belongs to me. Because yeah. they feel the country has cheated them. They feel society has cheated them. I mean, some of them maybe not even feel that way. But reality is that the kids we don't fix, in quotes, we don't help, mm -hmm. we don't train, we True. don't give exposure to opportunities, are literally people we're living to be discovered and tapped into by the kind of worlds that we don't like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very, very true. Very true. So we must open up these opportunities oh, today absolutely. to those absolutely. in the other and which is what you were doing. I know yes. you have a yeah. program, the Life Program, yes. right? Yes. Tell us about that program and how it's making an impact. Well, so uh, when I started the the training, uh, there was a young man called Gungosu who, you know, had just come out of school at the time and said to me, oh, I'd like to volunteer with you. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't have money uh, to pay. Uh, thankfully, when we started paying salaries, Ease was the first we started paying. So oh, that's, I mean, because that's great. important. You yes. have to pay people. Because yes. uh, I know we sort of confuse the idea of volunteerism mm -hmm. with exploitation at times. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm of that old school thought that people should be rewarded for what they do. Mm -hmm. uh, but at times when people just come to you and say, oh, would like to help, please let them help. Uh, and so... 
you know, we started this uh, training and what we did was to go to a cyber cafe. So we were going to train in Nigeria. And at that time, I had one computer. He, I'm not sure who had a computer himself. Maybe he did. Uh, but two computers were not going to be enough. Mm. And I learned before then the value of making sure. While I worked at Junior Achievement, when we go to all those, you know, posh schools and all that, the kids all sat with one computer each. Mm. So I made up my mind. Mm. Regardless of the location where I work, the kids must be one child to one computer. Because mm. I was sort of used to this idea of five children crammed Come, around yes, one computer. Yes, and trying to le- you don't learn that way. Today. You don't learn that way. Yeah. You know, you don't learn. You're just, you're just for the photo op. They're mm. taking pictures to show that you're around the computer. Mm. You're not learning. <laughs> So we decided it was going to be one child to one computer. And the only way around that was cyber cafes. At this time, 2007, cyber cafes were already dying. There was increasingly internet access from the CDMA service providers. And so cyber cafes were dying. Mm. And so I went to the first cyber cafe and said, listen, you're dying. You're not making money. So why don't we do this? I'll give you 50% of what you were going to make for a month. And I'll use your venue for the entire month. And they were like, no, it doesn't make sense. And I then, I'm a spreadsheets guy. Open the spreadsheets for him and say, listen, this is how much you would make if you don't give me this. Zero plus maybe five, six thousand. But I will give you 50,000 naira, guaranteed. Just go home and sleep. You have 50,000 naira. Of course, they agreed. Mm-hmm. No, it wasn't 50,000 at first. I think it was about 12,005 or something. So we used the cyber cafe to do the training. And, you know, it evolved. It was initially ICT training. It was just technology training. That's what I knew, you know, technology. But we realized that after training them, what next? So we thought, okay, if we train them and they have nothing, let's talk about entrepreneurship. Mm. Since there were no jobs. Mm. Like, I mean, we had this opportunity of extending internships to a few of them. But to be honest, we had maybe two internships for a class of 20. So we talked about entrepreneurship. And I remember our first entrepreneurship class that I taught was shine your eye. Like, open your eyes. Mm. In this Adegunle, there are opportunities. And we realized in the class, there were kids who already had business ideas. One of them wanted to clean the neighbor's compounds. And mm. I was like, that's a business. Mm. You can sweep for free for the first few days to show them how well you clean. You clean the corners. All of the sand will be aligned. You know how people will sweep and use the broom to create <laughs> signs and things yeah. like that. I was like, this is cool. Yeah. So we did the entrepreneurship and people began to make small, small, small money. And then there was a management problem because somebody was on the internship and got salaries and then they had his alumni meeting and she sat in a corner and wasn't relating with everyone else. And after a while, then she joined them and we're like, what's happened? They said, oh, our money has finished. I was like, okay, <laughs> we need to add another module to this. So mm. we're doing I, ICT. We're doing E, entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. So let's add F, yeah, financial finance. Literacy, yeah. financial readiness. Uh, and then we started doing that. And of course, they could manage the money a bit. It wasn't a lot of money, mm. uh, you know, but it was, it was for someone who had nothing. Mm. It's, it's something. True. And then after a while, we realized that when they were going for interviews, one of the students came to me and said, ah, my boss is a witch. Eh? She told me to come to the office very early and there was rain and there was traffic. And we're like, okay, these guys need life skills. They need mm. to understand that real life yeah. is not when somebody says, take her mm. as your, you know, and yeah. all that. So that's why L-I-F-E came from. And it was okay. then the LIFE program. Uh, and the beautiful thing is, I look back now, 15 years. I mean, we had uh, this event earlier in the year, in April. And I was listening to some of the students who had gone through the program. Oh. In fact, so one of them gave me a box set. And I opened it, you know, KPMG. And I was like, oh, this is cool. And then he told me a story. He's actually now an assistant manager at KPMG. Wow. Oh, yes. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. And I, and I meet these people all the time. But even apart from meeting them, so we have something we call Echoes from Ajegunle, Echoes from Aba, Echoes from Kano, Echoes from you know, uh, Senegal, 
publications based on where we run the training. And when mm. I read these things, sometimes I cry. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm emotional, and it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know they say, oh, guy, yeah, yeah, I'm emotional like that. You can't hear the stories and not yes, cry. Yes, yeah. Ugo Chuku's dad kicked her out of the house because there were three daughters, and he told the mom, forget it. You're a witch. You have only girls. Mm. This is an Abia state, Nigeria. This is not like uh, one village somewhere. This is real life. And she came to our program. She got a training. And then she got her first job. And on her graduation, I remember that the mom was dancing like seriously. Oh. Because she said, listen, you guys have vindicated me. Yeah. They said these children were useless. Mm. And that they won't carry their father's name. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, one of the sad things was when I was going to do a TED Talk, I actually interviewed her to tell her story. And I did, but the dad had died at the time. Oh. And one thing she said to me was that she wished, wished. her dad was alive to realize that I'm a girl. Yes. And I can make it. Make it. I mean, Famous was one scrawny looking small child who said, oh, I like computers. I want to learn. And then he got his internship opportunity uh, at, you know, we had this partnership with the UK Deputy High Commission. You know, he got this internship opportunity with them. And then there was a job opening in Abuja at the UK High Commission in Abuja. And then he told me, if he wants to say, oh, I want to apply. And I said, you know, I know that I've motivated you guys. <laughs> Ugo has told you guys what to do, <laughs> but uh, you also need to, you know, life skills. You yes. have to balance yes. things. He wouldn't listen. He applied for the job. Amazing. And when he came back, his excitement was not even that either he would get the job or not. not he said he sent a car with core diplomatic red plate number oh, to his nice. house. Oh, nice. And, you know, Peter Stevenson, who was our partner at UKTI, at the Deputy Commission at the time, Peter is, Peter is, he was one of the best human beings in the world. Let me just put it that way. Oh. Peter knows how to do things that will make you decide, I will make it in life. Mm. So he sent a car to the guy's house and said, pick him up, take him to the airport. They flew him to Abuja and he said, in case he doesn't get a job, at least he will remember he was on a plane. Yes. So he was telling me, ah, I was on a plane. Oh. And I could understand. Yes. Because a few years before then was the first time, 2001 was the first time in my life that I ever saw an airplane. In 2002, November 12th, was when I entered for the first time. And I know how it felt. Like, mm. oh my God. I mean, now almost 60 countries and looking back, I'm like, okay, why did I feel that way then? But this was a big deal for him. He mm -hmm. got a job, by the way. Amazing. I know, because it was great at Excel. And what he wanted was to manage the database. And I was like, okay, this is, this is actually good. This is, you know, a proof of concept that we can do this. And there are so many other stories like that. But Famous' story was unique to me because... He spent about six to eight months on the job and resigned. And I was like, hey, they don't get out. Village people, <laughs> you know, that this guy, what's wrong job. with you? Yeah. And he said, oh, he had saved enough money, wanted to go back to school. Oh. Went back to school, studied, I think, uh, medical about chemistry, uh, graduated, NYSE, got his chance to go to KPMG. Sh long story short, he's now an assistant manager at KPMG. And I'm like, this is what I do. Yeah. I was denied access to a computer. Now I'm building a global career. And this is what I want to replicate in other young people. Uh, of course, it's no longer me that, you know, we have a, you know, an amazing, amazing, amazing team that does this now. And I tell them, like, guys, ladies, this is good. Yeah. Like, it's great to know that you're doing something and you can look back. I mean, I was, I, was, I was in the London once and someone tapped me and was excited and hugged me. And I was like, okay, what's going on here? He was one of our students. I mean, these children change physically. I didn't recognize him anymore. And he was like, oh, I was your student in Ajegunle. And then he got Amazing. a scholarship opportunity with, I, I forget the name of the school now, but it was a very popular school with Nigeria. Uh, you know, at the time, one of the uh, mentors was someone who was recruiting for the school. Mm. 
you know, Met, London Met. It was London Met. Because oh. London Met was very popular in Nigeria at the time. And this guy got into London Met, Tropical University, you know, in the UK. And I was like, wow. So I asked him, let's capture your story and inspire others. And this, this is, this is, I mean, I look at Uguchuku, I look at Famous, and I'm like, forget it. This is, this is what I want to do. And eventually, thankfully, he pays the bill. <laughs> This is why we do this. Oh, when we absolutely. see life change, yes. when we see the potential that yes. nobody else could have mm. seen, mm. and here mm. you mm. are mm. building mm. that, mm. pushing mm. that, and getting them to do things that yeah. even they, because I'm sure they would not have imagined that they would ever have access to a computer. Yes. And by the time yes. they start that experiment, it changes their mindsets. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, yeah. that feeling of mediocrity, yeah. I can't do it, it, it gets absolutely. lost. Absolutely. That entire process. Yeah. And I like yeah. the life program particularly because you didn't just take it from one angle of just, okay, yeah. I'm teaching tech, yeah. right? Yeah. You looked at it from from um, business management, how oh, yeah. you manage yeah. your finances, yeah. you know, understanding yeah. what life... Because even now, that's what we find with our young people, right? We're yeah. having that full grounded um, skill, not just yeah. in a particular oh, true, thing, true, but true, all true. round. Yeah. I mean, the right? world has well -rounded. It used to be engineering, accounting, law. Yes. Now, I mean, my son is seven, and every time he tells me what he wants to do, so at some point he said he wanted to do engineering because I fixed a toy of his, and mm. he was like, oh, wow, daddy, you're a genius, you're an engineer. Uh, and then he goes to play the piano. I mean, he's great at the piano, I mean, for, for a seven-year-old, if I can say my, so myself. <laughs> uh, and it's also, he swims, you know. And okay. from time to time he says, oh, I want to do, I want to do that. And I laugh, and I'm like, you know what, whatever you want, want to, do, to do, if what you want to do with your life is even to sleep, mm. as long as you win at sleeping, I'm fine. <laughs> Because this is a multi because people sleep for a living. Mm. People do experiments. I mean, the models that sleep on foams that they advertise mm. are paid money. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. there's a way you can sleep that people, you know, some people sleep, they drop on the foam <laughs> and they sleep. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, I went to a boarding school in FGC Duani and I learned how to sleep on any surface. Yeah. You know, the locker room, I would get on this square inch, like, you know, like maybe <laughs> 12 inches by 12 inches, and I'll fold up and mm -hmm. I will sleep. Mm hmm. They you will make noise because of the you gunk. Sleep I it. developed sleeping skills. Yeah. So I believe that there are people who earn money from sleeping. There are people who earn money from anything. There are people, I mean, the biggest TikTok star in the world doesn't even talk. All he mm. does is this. And he's a multimillionaire in dollars. Interesting. Interesting. So anything can be useful these days. And I think this is why we must expose young people to an array of things yeah so they know what's possible have options because if you're only showing them tech mm. then they try it and they don't really succeed as much as they pay tax and call of this world then they're thinking to themselves maybe it's not my thing maybe mm -hmm. i'll succeed mm -hmm. but if they see the full spectrum which is why i love the rainbow it's pick pick your choose as yes. we say around here pick yeah. your choose yeah you know it could be red it could be orange it could be yellow it could be entire spectrum yeah you want to sleep, you want to sleep, you want to play the piano, you want to do a podcast. Mm -hmm. Podcasts many years ago, right? I know, I know, <sighs> you know. I know. <laughs> Interesting. You've told us so much about your successes and the amazing work that you've done. But we know that within this time of succeeding oh, yeah, is yeah. a journey oh, yeah, with yeah. potholes, mm. with puddles, with all sorts yeah, of things. Yeah, yeah. How has that been? I know you've overcome them, but... No, 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 no. Not all of them. Okay. Of them. Please tell us about so that. I, I mean, I tell people I'm on a 100-year journey. Mm. Uh, I'm building an institution that 100 years after I'm dead is still here. So Amazing. there are things I have to do that maybe others feel oh, you don't have to do this. Mm. Uh, but I have to because I'm building something to last, right? Uh, and so there are still challenges. Mm. But the very first challenge for me was 
I had no idea what I was doing. I just, so there was no name to it, right? Uh, I was doing what I wanted to do. I knew it was different. I knew what I was doing wasn't the typical non-profit model because I was consulting to make money to pay for, that's how I started. You know, mm. I wasn't, I, I didn't write grants. You know, I didn't, mm. I couldn't because I didn't know how to. Mm. <laughs> All I knew was to work and get paid at the end of the month or to do consulting and earn money. So I didn't know how to write grants. As in my head, somewhere, you know, the best grant writers were maybe the Osais and <laughs> Doings. My bosses are junior achievement. Yeah. I saw them write and see me, I saw them writing grants and like, they would just, I'll see the annual report, thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm like, nah, I can't do this, but I can do consulting. So I wasn't sure what I was doing. And there was, and I feel we all experienced this at the beginning of our journeys, especially great journeys. We experienced this, uh, it's almost an imposter syndrome. It's not exactly an imposter syndrome. You're like, am I Am I good enough? Mm -hmm. And God help you that someone now produces a news report on you and you read the newspaper and they say, you know, I was described as a whiz kid, a tech whiz kid. And I'm like, whoever you're talking about, <laughs> I like this guy. I want to be this guy. And so I had to accept myself and understand what I was doing. Uh, and what helped for me was that there were people around me who gave names to things? Hmm. Uh, Professor uh, Balaji Aluko was the first person who said to me, I think you're a social entrepreneur. Hmm. I was like, whatever that is. But it sounded cool. So I started calling myself a social entrepreneur. And he explained to me, he said, so I started reading about it. And I, you know, I even went all the way to Harvard and Stanford to do courses on social entrepreneurship because of that. Uh, I mean, the story of how, to, how I paid for that is another thing entirely. Because, hmm. of course, I didn't have money to pay for them. And I realized that that's what I was doing. I was running a social venture, but using entrepreneurship skills mm. to pay for it. And so for me, the first challenge was being able to, because you can't grow what you can't define or measure. So I couldn't grow it. Uh, but once I could understand it, so this is, this is social entrepreneurship. This is what really makes it different is the fact that I can earn income for it. So I started earning more income. And then I would tell people that, listen, when you give us money, to do your work, I will not only write you a solid policy brief, but you'll be training 20 young people in Ajegunle. Mm. And they were like, oh, that's cool. So I got more people paying me for consulting yeah. because it was for good work. Yeah. And, and so that was, that was my first you know, challenge. The next challenge was deciding to transition between Benga Sheso and Paradigm Initiative Nigeria at the time. I was enjoying, to be honest, I was enjoying the fame and the recognition as Benga Sheso. Mm -hmm. But I knew that I needed to build an institution. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, it, it was, it was, I'd seen, I'd, you know, I'd ha, I, you know, had a few mentors who had seen them struggle with that, where the, his individual, his person was bigger than the organization he was working with. Yeah. And I thought this is a bit of a challenge mm. because uh, in one of those cases, the person died. Oh. And that was the end of the NGO. I mean, someone else took it on, but that was it. Yeah. That was the end. And so my decision was, I need to start working on building a certain institution. To build an institution, you need money. Mm. You need people. Sure. Uh, so I reached out to my first <coughs> immediate circle. You know, uh, there was Ugo who was already working with me. Uh, there was, uh, then Ugo had wanted to move on at the time. In fact, I was happy for him to move on. Uh, and he was going to a tech company and I said to him, go there because we need money from them. You know? and, and that was that was fun because eventually we got money from them, not even because of him, but because he was there. They heard his story. They knew mm. where he was coming from, from. And they realized, oh, if show us this organization that you're saying, you know, is doing uh, great stuff. So the challenge of, of people 
uh, was also there, finding the right people. Mm. I'm a workaholic. So I met a few people who uh, at the time were like, ah, Angel, no, I'm mm. not interested. And I was mm. like, no, listen, this thing is great. You know, you get, you derive pleasure from it, you know. As somebody said then, uh, which translates to mean, you know, forget pleasure. It's come out that pleasure, you know, pleasure, like, what's that? Will pleasure pay my bills and things like that? So there was a challenge of finding the right people. But also, there was, there was also the challenge, and I think there is, you know, still the challenge of being able to grow in such a way that we don't we don't grow ourselves out of sustainability mm. right uh where people everybody wanted us to bring that jungle program to their location mm. but we were not ready and so the challenge was we don't have resources to go there but if we had stretched ourselves too thin at the beginning of course we, you know we'll be dead uh by now there were those many no's many you write, you know, emails to people and say, I'm doing this great work, come and support it. Some of them will not respond. Some of them will respond and say, oh, thank you very much. Uh, some of them will respond and say, okay, call, call me back. Some of them will invite you to their office to come and have a meeting. And you'll be like, ah, they invited me. Ah, that means they're giving me money. Mm. And then you get there and they, they talk to you. They give you coffee. They give you biscuits. And then you leave and you're like... <laughs> <laughs> go show me the money, give me this money, it doesn't come. So there was that, there was definitely that challenge. But over time, uh, I learned that it's not every funding source that is mine. Mm. In fact, there are some that I should never even approach because if I approach them, I would change directions for what I do. Because don't forget, when, when I started, uh, ICT was a good thing. It was a great thing. Tech was new, relatively new, 2007-2008, there were a lot of, you know, things like that. But closer to 2010, between then and 2010, tech became unpopular. Yeah. It was HIV AIDS, gender, and other topics. Mm -hmm. And I know many of many of the people that were working together that just changed directions. Yeah. They just switched immediately. Mm -hmm. But somehow, I don't know, I don't think it was because I knew better. I think it was because maybe I was too lazy to change. <laughs> but I realized eventually that it pays to be persistent. Yes. Because what then happened was when we weathered the storm and then tech returned, everybody, and literally everybody we were raising funding from said things like, oh, we've heard about you. You're the tech guy from way back. I'm like, it pays to be persistent. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So yes, there's there's still there's still challenges. There's still challenges. We want to do way more than we do. Uh, I want to make sure we build the best place to work in the world. But of course, it has to be one step at a time. Time. Yeah. Thank you, Binga. There's something you said that I just want I want you to just shed a bit more light on because it's something we hear mm. a lot of. The no's mm. in the nonprofits. <laughs> Um, and the, the most times what we hear, well, mm. since we are on the funding side, I can, yeah. I can be very honest. Yeah. What you hear is um, from the funders, there's not enough money, oh, yeah. right? Mm. Mm. But the people applying are doing great work, but they keep mm. getting mm. no, mm. no, mm. no. Mm. How did you deal mm. with the no's? I still get no's. <laughs> you know, I still get no's a lot. And I'm sure I'll get a lot of no's this year. But I think the power of no, the power of recognizing that this no is no to only one thing, mm. no to getting money. It's not no to new knowledge. Mm. When I'm writing a new proposal, I'm creating content. That content is not only valid for the yes I get on it. That content can be the base for the next proposal I write. Mm. But apart from that, one of the things is that I may get a no from you, 
but I have a relationship. Now. And True. then you then mention to someone else that, oh, we have this organization, we couldn't fund them. And they're like, oh, we've been looking for something like that. Mm. And I, I believe that what helps me with angling no, to be honest, at the beginning, I didn't like people who said no. And my reaction was always, hmm, you would take. <laughs> when I make it, you will not be part of my story. And that's a valid attitude to have. Mm -hmm. Because in reality, if someone says no to you, it's not your loss alone. It's also their loss, yeah. to be honest. And I'm sure funders like yourselves know this. The organizations you can't fund because maybe, oh, this is not your, your sector. They didn't good, they put a good proposal. But you're like, there's a feeling like, ah, man, these guys are good. I wish they could be in our portfolio. Yeah. So it's a loss both ways. So I think people need to realize that that no is not just you getting a no. Mm -hmm. The person who didn't give you the funding is also getting a no because in your future, when you tell your story, they won't be there. Mm -hmm. On your website, when it becomes prominent, they won't be there. But I think the bigger lesson is to realize that it's a journey and it's like a boat waiting for the tide. Some water will come, it won't lift the boat. It will just go under the boat. But there will come a time when if you remain persistent and you've learned the lessons, when you send in the proposal, it's not even just your proposal that goes into the room. Your reputation goes yes. with the proposal. Yes. And I tell people that, you know, there are times when we apply for funding and we get a response. There's some I'm like, yeah, we're going to get a yes. And my colleagues are like, how do you know? I'm like, come on. We sent in a proposal to someone, you know, at some point. And then the person invited me for lunch. And then, you know, this program officer was talking about, oh, I heard a lot about you. I went there. I'm like, oh, this one is in the bag. <laughs> <laughs> Not because the person made decision because of what it felt, but I could sense that they were already looking forward to working with us. Mm -hmm. We didn't get as much resources, but eventually we got a lot more resources from them, you know, than all that. So I think when people have a long-term view, I said to people that if you take a picture of me right now, my mouth may be open. But that's in that instant. If you did a video, you get a better picture. A picture is that no. A video is that no plus yeses that will come, come later. True. There will be many yeses. I mean, as long as you're not lazy, because I know there's also the part where people don't learn from it. When I get a no, I ask the question. I mean, my guys, my ladies, my, you know, my people in the office know this. When we get a no, the first thing I say is, oh yeah, ask them. Why? Why? And at times you don't get a reason, but many times you get a reason. Many times you learn from that and it becomes a learning opportunity and you can improve yourself. So no's will come. In fact, I tell people, please prepare for the no's because the no's strengthen you so that when you now get a yes. I mean, earlier today I saw, you know, someone mentioned a letter. <laughs> I was looking excited and I could tell yeah. from experience that, you yeah. know what, this person just got a funding letter. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's the way it is. So when you get many no's and you now get one yes, you appreciate the yes. And, you know, no one no one can train you or teach you how to get more yeses mm -hmm. than the many no's you, you get, get that you will learn from mm -hmm. and that you will build on. I mean, I would, I would love that people don't just get no's. They get no's and reasons mm. because it helps. Mm -hmm. I mean, it can be very crushing for someone who... When, I, when we started out and I wrote the first few proposals and I got a no, and some people were very terrible at no's. The sectors have evolved. Mm. I think grandmakers now know <laughs> that you're not king and queen. Uh -huh. You're partners. Yes. I think that knowledge is now out there. Yes. Initially, it wasn't like that. It was like cap in hand. And I, I mean, for God's sake, I have a bit of, a, of an ego. So mm. if you tell me no, and you're like, no, no, I'm not giving you, you're not good enough. 
I look at you and I'm like, hey, I pity you. You know, mm-hmm. you're going to miss out on the future. Yeah. But but I think things are a lot better now. People get why, um, you know, we don't have enough resources <clears throat> or, you know, this is not our area and, and, and things like that. So I think it's a, it is a lot better uh, and known now. But to be honest, it's like a child learning to walk. You have yeah. to fall down. If you yes. don't fall down, yes. you can't walk. Yeah. If you don't walk, you can't run. Mm-hmm. So you have to get the nose. The nose are good. Take them, learn from them, and get ready. When you do your live, you know, you do your autobiography <laughs> yeah. or your documentary later in life. Or you come on our podcast. I exactly. <laughs> you can talk about the nose and how they've strengthened you yeah. and how you learn from yeah. them. Thank you, Benga. I have so many other questions, <laughs> but I know we're running out of time. So just maybe in a sentence or two, mm. what advice would you give to um, um, so other social entrepreneurs? Yes. We've found that there are quite a number mm. of young people that mm. are interested in the non-profits, yes. in social enterprise. Mm. In one, they want to do, don't just want to work mm. for a for-profit mm. company. Mm. They want to do something that impacts lives. What advice would you have for people like that? My first advice for them would be don't start. And I know that sounds strange, but I will explain. Uh, I know the, the sense right now is everybody says, just start, just start, mm-hmm. just start. But I said to people, don't start. Uh, and by that, I don't mean don't do it at all. I mean, before you do, Ask many questions. Yeah. What you want to do is someone else doing it such that you can go work with them, learn, and build your muscle. If it's possible, please do it. I tell people, please. <laughs> you know, I jumped in straight only to realize there was no water in the pool. So, of course, you can imagine what happened to my head. I mean, headlong mm-hmm. in the pool. Mm. Uh, if there's water in someone else's pool, jump in that pool first and learn. There's nothing wrong with... And I know there's a tendency to want to call yourself founder. I, for example, I, I don't use founder as a title. You know, people ask me all the time, oh, who is the founder of Pilot Initiative? And when I say I started it, they're like, oh, but you don't call yourself founder. founder. I'm like, mm. I don't believe founder is a title. Mm-hmm. I think it's a circumstantial thing that happens. I was just lucky that I was the one who started it. It could have been anybody that started the Pilot mm-hmm. Initiative. So my first advice would be learn. Learn, learn. If learning is something you've already done, some people while in school have been able to work, have been able to do this and that, have worked elsewhere, that's fine. Learn. Now, after you've learned, to be sure and be intentional about what you want to do. Because there's a temptation, because now the social sector is a bit more attractive. When I started, you know, I was in a class of electrical engineering students, about 120 of us, and I met one of my colleagues who was working at Citibank, and, you know, uh, I came for a board meeting with my boss at the time, Simisani, because one of our board members was, was Citibank, and we had this meeting, and he saw me, and he was like, ah, I want to work for NGO. I asked the guy, so guy, Citibank. <laughs> of course, I didn't tell him what I was in, but I was like, don't be deceived that your MD is receiving my, you know, my boss and myself. Don't be deceived. Nothing. They here. There's nothing here. But things have changed. So there's yeah. a temptation for you to want to sort of jump in for the pleasure, mm. for the, you know, the grants. Uh, you know, people say things like, ah, you're the ones running now. You guys get a lot of grants. I'm like, <laughs> if you're willing to get in, no, come and join us. Yeah. You know, and things like that. But so my advice would be pause before you start, ask questions, learn from others. Don't, don't, don't be in a hurry. Yes, be in a hurry, but don't let that hurry get you into making mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when you want to start, please be deliberate. Document everything. Document everything. Practice the things you've learned. And I think the strongest of things that you need is a thick skin. Mm. 
You will mm-hmm. get no's. You will get people asking you, do you know what you're doing? At some point, I couldn't even explain to anyone exactly what I was doing. But I, I, I knew I could place my fingers on it. I could feel it. I could, I could, I could sense it. So you, you need a tough skin. You need to know that you will get no's. You will get disappointment. You will get many things. Uh, you know, there will be downs. There will be ups. But you need a thick skin to know that you need to stay in this thing. And eventually, maybe something great will come out of it. Thank you so much, Benga. I knew we were going to gist through this podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much. It pleasure was a pleasure hearing about the work you've done um, you. over the years. Congratulations on 15 this year. Thank you. Um, Thank we you. are very proud of the work you're doing. We, we so hope much. that you can reach a, a lot more um, African yeah. countries so yeah. we, can, we can spread this um, a lot more. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, I've been talking to Benga Session here. Um, my name is Ndifreko Kwekminam. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast, The Act Pod, Our Story, Our Continent. Um, if you have any questions or you'd like to reach out to us, um, please um, send us an email or um, visit our website, um, which is www.actrustfoundation.org. actrustfoundation.org. And we'll be happy to hear from you, get your comments. Um, if you have a story you'd like to share, um, you're doing great work. We'll be very happy to share that story um, on the Act Pod. Thank you again, and we look forward to seeing you at the next episode. Bye-bye. Thank you, Benga. Thank you for having me. <laughs>